0: Welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. So you might think that I'm taking a picture to remember all of your faces on my last sermon, but um, there's something on the organ behind you if you turn around. Um, and so there's a story behind that real quick for those of you who have not, didn't come to the congregational meeting. Our staff takes turns hiding that creepy baby in each other's offices until we find it. And um, Abby uh, put that baby in a houseboat's t-shirt and then hung the baby on my, uh, my bulletin board behind me. And when I was interviewing at my new church, the entire Zoom call had a creepy baby behind me. And so now my last sermon, they, I did the whole sermon without seeing that baby last time. So there it is. Um, yeah. So this is, this is my last sermon to you all. And uh, that means I've been given a green light to say whatever I want to you all. And uh, that means I'm going to just rattle off, like, the fun topics. We're just going to talk about, like, sex, drugs, rock and roll, politics, uh, woke agenda. What else do you guys want to talk about? All of it. Let's just go. Let's... Skateboarding. That's, a, that's different. I could talk about skateboarding. Um, my goal this morning is to make sure you squirm in your pews a little bit, right? That's, you don't... You don't believe that, right? <laughs> some, of, some of you might believe that. That's, that's not what I'm about, okay? What I have always said is that when I am in this pulpit, I want to keep the main thing the main thing. Um, my goal this morning is to spur this church on to a deeper call into what you are already doing. I, this church is already amazing, and this church has a bright future filled with kingdom success. I know this to be true because when I arrived five years ago, I was just met with a group of people, a family that loved each other and who took the scriptures seriously. I was 30 pounds lighter back then and I didn't have a receding hairline, but I don't blame you for the need for a new wardrobe or uh, gain that's due to having a second child and experiencing COVID. Some of you don't believe me about the receding hairline, but bald men are shaking their heads at me right now and their fists. Just trust me. It's just, I, I, I put a pen every night before I go to sleep, a mark. I'm just, I don't do that. I would, but I don't. I'm, I'm leaving this place with a bunch of new tools in my toolbox. And I'm leaving this place with a full heart. And I'm leaving this place with more confidence than ever that the best thing I can do for my future church is to feed them with the truth that is found in Jesus and his word alone. You just heard this famous passage from Hebrews 12 that is all the rage amongst runners. I should know I used to be a runner and uh, it's all about endurance. Likewise, our faith requires perseverance and steadfastness. And when we feel tired and weary, we regain our strength by remembering that Jesus is in fact the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he's the one who will persevere in and through us. Now, many of you are aware of my testimony. I met Jesus when I was 15 years old, I fell deeply in love with him and I became very, um, very, like a zealot for him. And I, I served him with every fiber of my being. And then in, right after college, basically I just started to indulge in a worldly lifestyle. And during that season of my life, uh, I, I experienced anxiety and depression and hopelessness. But then Christ drew me back in to his loving arms. And there was just, it was just complete grace that washed over me, complete forgiveness. And he opened up my eyes to this essential truth that had been lost on me in my teenage years. And that essential truth is that his faithfulness towards us is not dependent upon our faith in him. He is constant even when we are not. And if you have not personally soaked in this reality, let me tell you that this is where you experience freedom. You no longer have to carry the burden of shame or works righteousness trying to earn his favor because he, again, is the author and perfecter of your faith anyway. We will fail, he will not. But even though we are not a slave to the law or to sin anymore, we are still called to work out our faith. The Apostle Paul was always towing this line in his letters. On one hand, we are saved by grace through faith, but our response to being saved should be devotion to what is good and denial of what is bad. Our good behavior comes down to what is motivating it. Are we trying to earn our salvation? Are we trying to please others? Or are we striving to live virtuous lives because we've been rescued by the sacrifice of Jesus? Basically, it comes down to the fact, are we motivated by the love of Jesus? First in us, and then extend it to others. This morning, we're going to examine Paul's first letter to Timothy. Now, Paul has been a mentor to the younger Timothy for quite some time. They enjoyed some time together at a church in Ephesus, but Paul departed and left Timothy there in order to deal with some of the issues popping up in the church. See, the trouble there was that um, there were some people who had strange teachings that were permeating the ranks. The passage that we're looking at this morning is Paul's closing commission to Timothy, and today I present it to you as my closing commission to the people of Carmel Prez. So you can open up a Bible or an app to 1 Timothy 6. And while you turn there, I'll pray. Lord, would you speak this morning like only you can speak? Jesus, would you tune our ears to hear you ever so clearly? God, would you tune our hearts to experience the fullness of all that you have for us? May the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable to you. Be glorified and magnified in this place, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we'll begin at First Timothy, verse 11, it's about 10 verses. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. So we're gonna break this down into three chunks. First, verses 11 through 16, then we're gonna look at verses 17 through 19, and then finally we'll end with verses 20 and 21. In the first section, Paul identifies Timothy as a man of God who has made the good confession. Now this places Timothy in direct contrast with the false teachers who Paul was writing about throughout the letter. The people of God are called to do two things simultaneously. They need to flee from what is wrong and pursue what is good. We spoke a little bit about this at our college group last Sunday night. Because many of the people look at the Christian faith as a religion that tells us what is bad and then tells us not to do it. Maybe some of you have kind of that opinion. And if you look at the Old and New Testaments, there are lists like that to back up that point. However, the Bible is not simply a book that puts a check on our sinful behaviors. It is the only book that actually provides information on how to live a virtuous and holy life. It speaks both to what we need to cut from our lives and what we need to add to our lives. This is an important point for us this morning. I believe that a main way that we combat sin in our own lives is by pursuing holiness. Amanda brought up the monastic orders with our college students while we were discussing this topic. And monks have this idea that, or our perception of monks is that they, they go and hide from the world and in order that they're not stained. But that's a really short-sighted view of what they do because it's not just them fleeing immortality. If you look at the monastic orders, what they do is they set up a community that is joined around disciplines, things that they add to their life that bring them closer to Jesus. And not only that, each order usually has some sort of emphasis, some sort of ministry that they're pursuing. So you have orders that, that set up schools all over the world. You have ones that have a special interest in medicine. Many of them care for the poor. And others of them, they simply preach and evangelize. But they're not just hidden somewhere. They're also doing things for the kingdom. So let me direct this towards us this morning. It is not enough for us to make an effort to stop doing bad things, to stop gossiping, to stop lying, to stop drinking too much, whatever it is. We must submit ourselves to Jesus so that he can use the good gifts that he has given us for his purposes. We need to flee what's bad and pursue what's good at the same time. Sure, it's great to stop gossiping, right? You can work on that in your life, to stop gossiping. But that's not enough. How now are you going to use your words to encourage and build people up. You see, it's not enough to just stop gossiping. Now you have to replace it with the holy living that God's word calls us to. And this isn't easy, right? This is why Paul says that this is a fight. Paul notes that the Christian life is a battle. But before we dive into that, this verse particularly, to fight the good fight, Of the faith, I want to tell you what it's not saying. This is not a call to arms. This is not a call to crusade. It's not a directive for Christians to enter the public sphere and wave our Christian flags all over the place. Or even worse, attack people in the name of Jesus. What Paul's writing about is in line with what he's written about before that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling that we need to fight that good fight. We need to fight against our just inclination to care more about ourselves than anything else. And as Paul continues, we must fight to keep our perspective on the eternal. That's what it comes down to, to remember our confession that Jesus is Lord and King. And that means that he's in control of everything including our lives. In John's gospel, we get insight into what Paul's talking about when when he says Jesus' good confession. So real quick, I'm going to read John 18 to you. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus confesses himself to Pilate. He confesses who he is. Jesus says that he is the king of of a kingdom that is distinct from this world. Also, Jesus places this huge emphasis on truth, And it's the perfect rationale for what Paul is writing to Timothy about. The church is believing false teachings and Timothy is told to fight for the truth and to keep his focus directed on the heavenly realm rather than the temporal one. Flee earthly desires and philosophies, pursue the kingdom of God, be motivated by what's eternal. Now, church, if there was ever a passage of scripture that was for you, then these next verses are it. This is a very powerful message for the rich. Now I've said this before and I'll say it again, I realize that not everyone in here, myself included, is rich in terms of the peninsula or Carmel by the sea, but you all grasp the fact that basically everyone in this sanctuary right now are the richest of the rich when it comes to the whole world, right? We understand that? And I told you this is my last sermon, so I get to be a little bit more blunt here. Some of y'all are like real wealthy, like really, really wealthy. You guys get that, right? Yeah, okay. The people who are nodding are the ones who get it for the other people, maybe. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I've seen the pickup line at River School. I get it, yeah. Yeah. So I want you to pay attention to these verses, 7 through 19, and I'm going to read them to you again to let them seep into our hearts. And this is for everyone. Don't look at your neighbor and say, oh, that person's rich. I'm not rich. We are all rich in terms of the world. This text is for us. It says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. From the looks of it here, it does not sound like Paul is saying, being rich is bad. Paul takes into account the fact that there are wealthy people within the church. But his message to Timothy is simple. Tell those rich people to not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. This past year, I started dabbling in the stock market, okay? And my first month was amazing. Okay, like 300% return on my investments. And I was like, why did no one tell me about this? This is a, it's so easy and amazing. And I was like, Lalia, let's put more money in. And she's like, no. And I was like, please. And she said, okay, fine, some more money. Put some money in. I am 25% down for the year. I hear Hans laughing at me over there. <laughs> I have a moniker called Pastor Who Trades on this website called StockTwits. I'm not good at trading. Like riches, investments, even jobs, right? We aren't sure that they're gonna be there the next day. Enough of you realize this. You, enough of you have lived through recessions and bear cycles that you can't put your hopes in the riches of this world. And when we do, time and time again, we realize that enough is never enough. We're never satisfied by them anyway because our appetites, as Scripture teaches us, our appetites know no bounds. Instead, Scripture gives us the remedy, the alternate way of living our lives, to be generous, ready to share. And then this wonderful wordplay, Paul says that we are to be rich in good works. That's what we should aspire towards. That's what matters, to do good to others. And that's a good foundation regardless of what your financial status is, to be rich in good works. That's something we can aspire towards as a family of believers. So here's my recommendation to you. Give until it hurts a little bit. Seriously, you should feel it. You should have to think about it and pray about it. And I believe that as you do that, you you embark upon sacrificial giving and God will bring joy into your heart that you didn't know could exist. And over time through the work of the Holy Spirit, I believe you get transformed into what the Bible calls a cheerful giver where you can't wait to make money because you can't wait to give money away. Why in my last sermon would I choose to talk about this? Well, the elders sat, me. no, I'm just kidding. They didn't tell me to talk about money with you. Here, here's the real thing. It, I see unbelievable potential that is untapped here. And that pains me, both for individuals and for the kingdom. And I have to be careful because CPC is genuinely a caring and giving church but you have not reached your limit, not even close. Some of you do not know the joy of freely giving money away with no strings attached. Some of you have never experienced the humility of providing for someone so that they might experience the love of Christ in a tangible way. On the other hand, many of you have already done these things and you'll continue to do so. But let me cast a bigger vision for you. What if Carmel Presbyterian Church was known on the peninsula as the church that hands down had the most generous people? Not for your glory, but for the glory of Jesus. Let me dream for a second. And this is something I do. The staff knows it is brainstorming. I throw out these zany ideas and I say, a tent of grace, that means whatever I say is like, I'm allowed to say it. Uh, so tent of grace for you guys. So let me just dream big. This is just an idea When we're thinking about God initiatives, as a church, what we need to first consider is what are the needs around us, right? And then we pray to God, how can we as a people fill these needs? There's a need around us that's very, very clear to everyone in this room, and that is affordable housing, right? (laughs) Affordable housing is an issue here. I am absolutely positive that we have the resources in this church to to build a development of affordable houses. It sounds crazy, right? I know, but what if you did in order to bless single parents, in order to house college students who are here studying locally, or to give a home to workers who can't live anywhere near their workplace? And then what if you committed to praying for them, for doing their yard work, to doing babysitting for them for free, and then adopting them almost as a family in Carmel Prez. And when the time arises to share the gospel with them and invite them to church. I know it's crazy, but you could do it. It's so crazy that I had a man come in between services, his first time, I won't put it up here, he gave me his card. First time ever coming to church service, right? gives me his card to let me know that he builds multifamily units. I had a second person come up and say, I've been praying about how to care for affordable, uh, how to provide affordable care, I mean, affordable living for people. I don't know, right? But we got to cast these bigger God-sized visions because we have so many resources and blessings that God's given us. Tent of grace off. You don't have to do that. It was just an idea. You get the overall uh, gist of this. To be generous and kind, to give other, to, to others in the name of Christ. Don't place your hopes in riches because you're not spending eternity here anyway. So we've arrived at this final chunk. These two verses start off with a plea from Timothy's spiritual mentor. This is what Paul writes. Please, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. This Greek word for deposit means a trust or thing consigned to one's faithful keeping. But what exactly is the thing that Paul is talking about? Based on the entire letter, Paul is writing about the pure doctrine of the gospel. Basically, the deposit given to Timothy is the knowledge of the truth. And so this is my final point to you as your associate pastor of the first life, first half of life. That's always a hard one. I'm not going to miss that title. (laughs) What a person believes will ultimately dictate how they live. In the same way, what a church believes will dictate how it lives. Just a few moments ago, I read that passage about this encounter between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. This is how it went. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. But then Pilate asks one of the all time best questions. It's a question that every individual has asked throughout human existence. Paul, asked, I mean, Pilate asks, "What is truth?" What is truth? Paul tells Timothy to guard the deposit that was entrusted to him. That deposit was the truth. If you have received the gift of faith, then you too have that deposit and you must also guard it. But to guard it doesn't mean to hoard it. It means when the chaos of the world is swirling around and there's opinions flying at us from every direction, the way we we guard that deposit is by always returning to Jesus and his word where the truth resides. You know, soon I'll be preaching every week and I love to do it, but, but the, it's not lost on me, the weight of it, right, to do it every week. And I know that my new church, some people will like my style. Others, others will not like me, right? But that's of no consequence to me. And I don't say that like arrogantly. I say that because the thing that matters is, am I teaching truth? That's what matters. As long as I can do that, then I'm doing what is required of my office. Ben Brantford uh, shared this quote from Charles Spurgeon um, on Facebook this past week. This is what Spurgeon confidently said. I am the messenger. I tell you the messenger's message. If you don't like the message, quarrel with the Bible, not with me that's not just for me and for other pastors. That's for all of you. You're all messengers and ambassadors for Christ. And it's not enough to just have a solid biblical theology. It has to be a lived out theology. It's what our denomination calls actually a livable theology. What we believe dictates how we live. If you believe that the, as the Bible clearly states that Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to eternal life, then how does it sit with us knowing that there's tens of thousands of people in our immediate vicinity who are doomed to hell as of this moment? That's the belief. What's the action that corresponds to it? What are we gonna do for God and his kingdom because we believe that. You have the pearl of great price and it's yours to share with a world that is desperate for the truth. If you are rejected because of your beliefs, take heart, Jesus told us to expect it anyway. What he didn't tell us to expect was to be comfortable. What he didn't tell us to expect was to, to have an easy life. I fear that many of us, our lives have become comfortable and easy. And I'm not saying that you don't have troubles of your own. I get it. We all have stresses in our lives. I get that part. Health issues, financial issues. But when, again, when it comes to having a more global perspective, we have it pretty good here. I just fear that if we operate out of this comfort and ease, we miss out on a lot of what God has for us. What it means to just give everything over to him so that we are confident in those moments that it's not us at work, it's actually him working through us. So let me ask you just some important questions. It's a litmus test. Have you taken any risks for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom recently? Have you shared the gospel with anyone this year? How have you changed your lifestyle this past year to be more in line with what Jesus teaches in his word? If you haven't been doing these things, I'm not reprimanding you. I'm telling you that you're missing out. You're missing out and you're not guarding the deposit that was entrusted to you. If you have been doing these things, this is one of the best things about following Jesus. If you have been doing them, you can do more. You can always go deeper. You can always risk more for his name. So let me end with a simple demonstration. Now, it's a little bit of a risk because we are in a Presbyterian church, but in my final time in the pulpit, I thought it would be important for me to share the gospel. Now, I know many of you have already received the good news, but it's also, it, it's also good to be reminded of it. But for those of you who have not submitted your life to Christ, whether you're here, or whether you're online, I'm talking to you in this moment. He knows who you are. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows every single hair on your head. But the reality is you have turned your back on him. And you know it. You experience it because something's missing in your life. Well, the truth is that thing that's missing in your life is a relationship with your creator. That's the truth. And he made a way in order to have a relationship with you when there was no other way. He sent his one and only son to live a perfect life. Jesus was the only person to ever do it. And Jesus proved his love for you that he went to the cross as an innocent man and died for you, knowing full well that you would turn your back on him. And he still went. And then he raised three days later. He appeared to over 500 people, a historical accurate fact that he's resurrected and risen Lord. And what that means for us now is that he is alive, that he is present even in this very moment. And the reality is he loves you. All you have to do is believe this truth of what he's done for you. Turn away from your sins and submit your life to him. And I believe, and I know it to be true, is that is when you will find what your heart and your soul have always been searching for. That you'll be made whole. That you're loved completely, even though he knows everything about you, he still loves you completely. And all you have to do is receive the truth. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come by your spirit, even as your gospel is proclaimed in this moment. God, if there is anyone here, anyone online who is on the fence, Jesus, would you woo them over that fence? Might they know that they can trust you, that this isn't some made-up fairy tale, this isn't some legend, that you're the living God and that you want them. Jesus, I'm so thankful for this church that they understand this, they understand the message of the gospel, that it is the life breath for us all. So Jesus, as we worship you, as we sing your praises, we ask that your spirit would continue to move, that you would draw people to yourself, even those of us who already know you, how we might be able to risk more for you, give more for you, love others more for you, and to dwell in in your, your everlasting love and presence. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website, at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.